I wanted to kind of preach on one of my favorite and I think the most powerful parables in all of scriptures, Scripture, the parable of the prodigal son. I remember my Sunday school teachers when I was younger teaching me this story. And I remember a visual of the prodigal son after he had ran away from his family and made all the wrong choices. I remember him looking at the pig trough and wanting to eat out of it because he had come to a place of such uh, destitution. And I remember also there was like, it was like a little crayon book where you color in and you could see the road that led back to his father. And I remember the look of him, uh, on the, the look of him on, even in that crayon book walking towards his father and his father just abandoning the house, abandoning all, abandoning what he looked like in front of people and just running to that son to pull him in his arms, to kiss him, to embrace him, to welcome him home, to throw a feast. And I remember just seeing the heart of God there, even as a child. Seeing the wonderful heart of God that God is not someone who's trying to cast us out. He's someone who's trying to call us home. That's the heart of God. See, religion, unhealthy religion, will tell you you've got to do this, this, and this to be in favor with God. And what the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ says is that God tracks us down. He doesn't cast us out, but he runs to us. He pursues us. He calls us home. He sends his own son into this world to bring us home so that we sinners can find so much happiness and repentance in the grace of God, amen? That's the heart of God, and the heart of the gospel is a pursuing God. A God that will not let us go. A God that fights for us. A God that understands our weakness and our frailties and our shortcomings. A, a God that took on flesh and understands the temptations and um, the fallen nature of this world and all those things, yet... He loved the world and loved us so much that he gave his only son to bring us home. And I want you guys to feel the love of God today because maybe you have a perception of God that he's just a father waiting to throw you out rather than the father like in the prodigal son that is running to meet you and kills the fatted calf and throws a party and celebrates one sinner repenting and finding grace in our Lord. I'm going to read this parable to you. It's 20 verses, so it's a long read, but if you would just listen and, and take this in, it, it's a powerful, you can read along, it's Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32, and it says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was long to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate from and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring him the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, but now he's found. I want us today in this message to see the heart of God and the heart of the gospel. To really look closely, we're going to look at three hearts today. The heart of the prodigal son, the heart of the self-righteous older brother, and the heart of the father. And I want to start here with the heart of the prodigal son. Do you know what the word prodigal means? I didn't until I had a study this week for the sermon. That's how, how informed your pastor is. I thought it meant just run away, do bad things. That's what I thought prodigal meant. Prodigal means wasteful spending, reckless living, using your resources and squandering them on lavish things. It's wasteful spending, wasteful living, being reckless with the way you spend and live your life. Another way to say it is just absolutely wasting your life and wasteful living. The prodigal son took his father's inheritance and he wasted it all. He lived recklessly, not aware what life was about, how he was supposed to live in light of the love of his father, what his purpose and meaning was. He just lived for the pleasure of this life, and he would spend any resource to get that pleasure given to him and to achieve it. An important thing about the Christian faith, and this is so important, I pray that this really takes hold in your heart today. We operate our lives according to what our heart treasures most. So the heart is the immaterial facet of our being. We're dichotomous beings, big word. It's probably the only one I'll use today. But we're dichotomous beings, meaning we're physical and we're immaterial. We're body and we're soul. So inside our soul are all the ingredients, our spirit, our heart, the mind of our soul, our conscience. All those things make up our immaterial being. But our whole person operates according to our heart. That's the central piece of all our being. And whatever it treasures, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, our lives, our actions will follow our heart. So whatever you treasure most, 
Your life will follow because your heart follows its greatest treasure. Okay? That's what the Bible teaches us. That's why Jesus is always preaching to the heart. He's not dealing with other things. He's trying to get to our hearts so our hearts see the light and the love of God and are melted by his grace because when we see that God is our greatest treasure and we love him with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength, our life changes because God becomes your greatest treasure, your life follows. But with the prodigal son, his greatest treasure was material things. His greatest treasure was lavish living. His greatest treasure were the pleasures of this world. So he wanted money so he could indulge himself in the pleasures of the world because he thought that's what satisfies most. If I have more and things, inheritance from my father that I can use to get what will ultimately satisfy me, that's what I'm going after. So his heart had this treasure which led him out of his father's house. Does that make sense, guys? And as he went into the city and had all that his misdirected heart could want, and he indulged in all the pleasures, had all the money to do all the things that he thought would bring him the greatest pleasure and satisfied, he found himself empty, handed and empty in his heart and looking at a pig trough and saying, what have I come to? And maybe some of you feel like that today in your soul. You feel like you're looking at that pig trough and saying, I thought this would satisfy, but I'm left empty-handed and empty-hearted, if that's a phrase. And looking at that pig trough and saying, what did I do? Why am I here? But a wonderful thing happens. This is the beauty, because ultimately the prodigal son has a humble heart. He has a humble heart because his heart repents. And to repent means his life changes direction. And he makes these, he says these words. He says, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against my father. He said, I'm not even worthy to be his son. Do you see that right there, that humility? See, grace is all not about what we deserve. Grace is like, I don't deserve to be loved by my dad because of what I did to him. But I know my dad. And if I can just be hired as a hand in his house, just to be a doorkeeper in his house would be better than looking at this pig trough because my heart was wrong. And I'm going to go back to my father. I'm asking if I can just work for him because I'm not worthy to be his son. If I can just work for him, if I can just be in his presence again, if I can just be in his house, that would be everything to me. And he started that journey home. And I want you guys to see the heart of the prodigal here because that's many of us, right? Our heart spends itself on things we think will fulfill it, and we're ultimately looking at that pig trough with nothing, and we say, I'm going back to my heavenly daddy now. Enough's enough. I'm going to repent to others, and I'm going to repent to my father. And as he walked down that road, he got more than his heart could have ever imagined. His dad didn't even let him walk the full way on the road, because his dad, and I'll get to the father's heart, and I'm preaching it early here, because it's wonderful. His dad wouldn't even let him take the full walk of shame. His dad ran, kissed him, embraced him, and he gave the words. He said, I'm not worthy, Father. And his father said, you're my son. Kill the fattened calf. It's time to celebrate my son's home. See, the heart of the prodigal son is the one we can have almost every day sometimes. There could be periods of a life where it's more dramatic. We say, I've been running from my father, and I'm coming home. 
but there are also going to be periods every day where our heart wants to wander after things of this world, and we say, Father, I repent before heaven and before those I've hurt, and I'm running to you even today, and I'm practicing that gospel in my heart. And when we do that, we feel the grace and the joy and the love of our Father. Amen. The second one is actually, I didn't realize how much this story is about the self-righteous older brother too. Did you guys catch him in this story? See, I always saw the prodigal son. I never saw the self-righteous brother until I read a book called Prodigal God. Maybe some of you read it by Tim Keller. If you haven't, get it on 2019's Best Reads because I'm telling you, Prodigal God will get the gospel in your heart, man. I was reading this book and I was, in, uh, I was an electrician for a while. Like I was talking to Alex today. I forget I was an electrician. You know, I wasn't really that good. I was... I was all right. I could put a plug in. Um, but I'm reading this book, Prodigal God, and I'm waiting for an inspection one day um, in a house in Wilmington. The customers that give me the key, and I'm sitting on the couch reading a book because you know how inspectors are for those in the trades. I'll be there between Monday and Wednesday. Just wait for me. So I'm just sitting there waiting, you know. Uh, but I'm reading this book, and I'm crying in the living room. I'm crying in the living room because I'm so moved by the gospel because I saw the self-righteous big brother in me and I saw God's grace even towards the self-righteous big brother. And I'm thinking to myself, and the, if the inspector shows up, what am I going to answer the door crying? All right, come on in. I just put in a few lights. It would, would be very awkward. But I was so moved because I didn't see the self-righteous brother who is not happy that his little brother has come home. And this is very complex, and we're going to try to get to the heart of the big brother here, because it's very complex. Because he becomes angry that his brother is being celebrated. He becomes, he won't even go to the party. He stands outside and says, why are you throwing a party for him? You saw what he did. He left you. He made your house a house of debauchery. Why are we throwing a party for this type of person? He says, your son. Do you see that language right there? That's like when our kids do something bad and all of a sudden they're your son. or your, That's your kid acting like that. We disown. We make it impersonal, right? He says, your son. You're throwing a party for your, not my brother, your son. Now, why is he having this reaction? Why is he angry that his brother is being celebrated for arriving home? I'm going to try to get the heart of it a little bit because this really is an important thing relationally and with God and something that I've wept about many and something in the past few years that I've been really thinking about and I think it's important for the Christian walk. He had learned to do good things because it got him things. Okay? We can learn to do good things not because we're doing out of a place where of goodness, or holiness, or love, because it gets us things. We can learn, see, he had learned that if I do good, my Father will give me things. See, and that is what religion, like people think sometimes, like good people come to church, right? I can't go there, I'm not good enough. We think that good things, good people come to church to do, do, do good things to get good things from God. So that's like dead religion. It's actually learning to use God. We're learning to use God and we don't even realize it. And we have good intentions. He had learned to use his father. 
See, if I do good things, if I stay around, my father's going to give me this. My father's going to give me that. He's going to bless me with this. If I do good things and have that persona on the outside. And then when he saw his brother got the same reward, it bothered him because his treasure was, if I'm self-righteous, I'm self-justifying, if I do good things, I deserve to be loved more than my little brother. Are you guys tracking with me on that? That he doesn't deserve that kind of grace. I've been here the whole time. I'm the good person. I've done this, I've done that, and you never did this for me, but you're doing it for him. That we get drawn into that kind of religion where we actually come to God to use God and not to get God. Now, when you come to God to love him, good things happen. Because you can't be that close to the sun and not feel the heat. You guys hear me? But sometimes in our friendships, in our families, and even our relationship with God, we learn to do good things to get things, and it's not really coming out of a place of righteousness. And so when his father messes with the treasure of his heart, what was most, his self-righteousness that deserves the reward that his brother was getting, he was shook, he was angry. When the treasure of our heart gets shaken, we become angry and we make scenes. No. No, that's my treasure. You're shaking my treasure. And this is important to think about. This is a story that really helped me think through this. There was a novel. uh, Tim Keller tells a story, and I thought it was a really powerful story. He talks about this man. He was a lawyer, and he was well-respected by everyone. Like everyone say, he's a good person. He's a good person in the community. He does good things. He gives to charity. He's all those things, right? They were talking about him. But one day at night, he's taking a walk by a bridge, and there's a woman who's going to jump off the bridge. She's going to commit suicide. And she actually jumps off the bridge. And he has this dilemma. He looks down and says, if I jump in to save her, I could die. He says, if I run to get a cop, I'm a lawyer. They might think I did it. He chooses option three and he walks away like he never saw it. And what it does to him, it causes a soul dilemma where he says, everyone thinks I'm this good person, but when I was faced with a real moral challenge, I chose to save myself. And he says, he realized in his life that even the good things he was doing, he was doing them mostly so he could get things from society, not because they came out of a place of righteousness. Is this making sense, guys? So to be a self-righteous big brother, we all have that inside of us, right? At least I know I do, where I think, God, you should give me this because of that. Or that person shouldn't get this because I've done that. But God offers grace even to the big brother. You see the dad out there? He goes out. He doesn't say, you get out of here. You don't get it. You're not worth it. You should be celebrating. He says, listen to me. And this is the heart of God. Everything I have is yours. It's fitting and it's right that we celebrate your brother coming home. It's not right to be angry over this celebration. He says, I love you. I always will love you. Everything that I have is yours. Enjoy the heart of the love of your father. See, when God becomes our greatest treasure, we can't be shaken in our hearts because he can never be taken away from us. This world can pass away. People can pass away. We can lose our job. Someone can speak ill of us. We can be hurt. 
but our heart can't be shaken because our greatest treasure is God. And even when we're hurt, we learn to forgive. Even when someone wrongfully fires us, we learn to pray for those who even use us, who spitefully use us. See, that's the heart of the, the Christian faith. That's the heart of God. And God is teaching us, even the self-righteous brick brother and all of us, to change our direction and to celebrate all our little brothers and all our little sisters who may be lost and now they're found and who are dead and who are now alive. Amen? Because that's what the dad says. He said, your, your brother was dead and now he's alive. You know how that feels for a parent when you don't know if your kid's out there and they're dying because they're living so crazy? I didn't know. They, they didn't have social media back then. He couldn't tell if the prodigal son was tweeting if he was still out there. He doesn't know if he's dead or alive. He sees him on that road. He says, I thought your brother was dead. He's alive. He was lost out there. And now he's found, he's back in my house. And this is the heart of God in the gospel. Amen? And thirdly, I want to see the heart of the Father. Because seeing the heart of the Father is seeing the heart of God here. He runs to the prodigal son. He goes outside to the self-righteous old brother. And the whole time he's saying, love, love, love. Grace, grace, grace. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. This father loved throwing parties. And to see this parable is to see it in light of the two parables told before it. Because Jesus is teaching the heart of his heavenly father. And he tells the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin right before the prodigal son. They're right after each other. And he says first about the parable about the lost sheep. He says, I will leave the 99 to save the one. This is my heart. If one gets lost from my flock, this shepherd goes out and fights for them. Throws the lamb on his shoulders, comes back, and there's not punishment, there's a celebration. He invites all his friends, I have found the one, and he celebrates. Then he says the lost coin. It's like my father-in-law. If he loses something, forget about it. If he loses a hat, the whole week will be about the hat till this hat is found. Mimi gets it. Mimi, where'd you put my hat? We check under every mattress. One time he lost his dentures in Shaw's. He made me call and I said, have you seen my father-in-law's dentures? This is my life. He loves that stuff. He tells me to tell the stories just so you know. It's all love here. He loves when I tell it. When Jesus loses, or when a, a sheep goes astray that he loves so dearly, he tracks it down in the house. One, one coin, that's why he tells that parable. He clears out everything. The couch moves, the bed moves. It's like when we look for the clicker, the, all the cushions come out behind the TV, the attic. We look everywhere. This, the way he doesn't look, he doesn't give up until he finds what he's lost. That's who our God is. Then when he finds it, party. Every time he finds it, it's a party. Jesus keeps saying, find it, celebrate. Then finally gets to the prodigal son and he says, listen. And he says it's that end of each parable. He says, all of heaven, even the angels, rejoice over one sinner who repents and comes back to God. One soul matters to God. One soul. That helps us think about our mission here, right? We exist to be, see people restored by the gospel. The celebrations we have. We need, might need to amp up the feasting around here. 
over one soul that finds God, over one sinner that finds this great grace in the gospel. It says heaven goes wild. He's proud that he celebrates. That's what he's trying to get to the self-righteous older brother. He's saying, listen, this is a celebration. Your son, your, my son, your little brother is found. All heaven rejoices when one soul comes back to Jesus. This is the heart of the gospel. Not a God that's throwing out, but a God that's calling in. Like I, the other night I watched, um, so as the, as the kids are getting older, I get to watch some of my favorite movies with them. So me, Talia, and Natalie watched Taken. Come on now. The parable of Liam Neeson. About to get hit with it. So we're watching it with Tal, and they think I'm awesome. They think I'm, I'm like Liam Neeson. You know, I think I can work the top, because Liam never does anything down here. He just kind of hits the upper body and, you know, moves on, hair perfect, and just moves on. But we're watching this, and the daughter, she was a little deceptive knowing that. She's like, first of all, he made a wrong decision. You let your daughter go to Europe when she's 17. I don't care how sentimental it gets in the ice cream shop. You don't let your daughter go to Europe, but then he finds out they're going to be traveling, all this stuff, but he finally gives in. Everyone knows I got a skill set. He goes after her. He's tearing apart everything. He's killing terrorists. He's, you know how Liam does it. That's why we watch every movie the same, but we keep watching it. Finally, at the end, 63-year-old Liam, he jumps off a bridge, tumbles, Tal says, Dada, do you think you could do that? I said, of course I can do that. You know that. You know the truth. Kills everyone in the boat. Finally, he kicks down the door, has them lined up. You know, he doesn't take much time, takes them out. But the look of his daughter, she says, Dad, you came for me. You came for me. Nothing stopped you. Nothing stopped you. This is the heart of our Heavenly Father. This is the gospel. Nothing is going to stop Him from saving us. Nothing. He's not pushing us away. He comes from heaven to earth. He tracks us down. And we get this look on our face, in our hearts, if you would. God, you wouldn't let me go. Does anyone feel that? Where you feel like, man, I'm trying to get away. God's just kicking stuff down. Where are you going? Come on. I hear it from you guys all the time. I tried this and I tried that. I tried to get away, but Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I made wrong decisions, but God's grace. I pushed him away, but he kicked down the door, and he's coming to save me. He always has, and he always will. And this is the heart of the Father that we see in this parable. Amen? I want to close it with this, just this gospel conclusion. You see a big brother in this story who finds ways not to celebrate his younger brother who is actually angry and gossips and won't attend the party. But there's a big brother, Jesus, has a totally different response. Who doesn't look down and say, don't celebrate. Doesn't look down and doesn't say, don't save. But he actually says, send me into the city. 
to get my little brother. And Jesus comes from heaven to earth. And rather than condemn us, he saves us. Any punishment that we should have got, Jesus takes. And he starts a celebration of all celebrations. Do you know upon the return of Christ, it just talks about a wedding feast and a celebration that's going to be all, all eternity? If you want to know what heaven's going to be like, it's going to be a feast and a celebration of lost sinners being saved and dead being made alive for all eternity. Just a party. Singing, grace, Jesus exalted, finally our Heavenly Father holding us all in His arms. Amen? That's the gospel. That's the heart of God. Know that, believe that, because that is reality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful God you are. It brings a smile to our souls as we think about the grace that you've poured out on us. We've been prodigal sons and daughters. We've been self-righteous older brothers and sisters. But your grace always calls us home. You, you pursue us. You love us. You moved heaven and earth so that we could be brought back into your house. We thank you that we're here today loved by you, forgiven by you, celebrated by you. That's an amazing thing, Father. Sinners like us are celebrated because of your grace and love. We love being part of your home and part of your family. Amen.